Doctor Who, Bell Tempest, by Jim Mortimer. Welcome back to the secret library of St John the Beheaded. I see this month we're going to be talking about Jim Mortimer's novel Bell Tempest, an EDA which had a lot in common with The Power of Three, in that something very bad must have happened behind the scenes towards the end. Uh, computer, remind us, what's the story of Bell Tempest? The people of Bellania too see their son, Bell, shrouded in night for a month following an impossible triple eclipse. When Bell is returned to them a younger, brighter, hotter star, it is the beginning of the end for the entire solar system. A hundred thousand years later, the Doctor and Sam arrive on Bellania 4, where the population is under threat as disaster looms. Immense gravitational and dimensional disturbances are surging through this area of space. While the time travellers attempt to help the survivors out and ease the devastation, a religious suicide cult leader is determined to spread a new religion through Bell's system, and his word may prove even more dangerous than the terrible forces brought into being by the catastrophic changes in the sun. I don't know. Let's see. Band Garbage started here. No way. Yeah, they're from the three quarters of the band are from Madison here, and then Violent Femmes started in Milwaukee. Oh wow! Oh, I... the Fendermen who did their you know their version of Jimmy Rogers' Mule Skinner Blues back in what 1960. They're from around here, and wow. So there's a modicum of famous stuff from Wisconsin. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, I mean, garbage are fantastic and still going. But the only one I know anything about is Shirley Manson, and she's Scottish. So yeah, the other three, the other three guys <laughs> were from around Madison here. Wow, that's where yeah, they got their musical start. Boney Vare yeah. is from Wisconsin, and I'm trying to remember the guy who's the, the main. Justin Vernon, I think, is he's like the main, the prime mover of the band Boney Vare. He's their Wisconsin thing. Oh, I started watching Doctor Who in 1980. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the typical American story, like our the PBS stations here showed it back then. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, so I grew up in Chicago, and the PBS affiliate down there at the time, this would have been, I actually looked it up on, the, there's that broadcast Doctor Who book and website where they try and chronicle the history of American uh, broadcasting of Doctor Who. Oh, red was it Red, White, and Who or something? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah, and uh, I went to their website, so it seems like I started watching it in July of 1980. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the PBS affiliate in Chicago was showing Tom Baker episodes in the 25-minute format. It was like, you know, like 5 o'clock to 5.25 or, you know, 5.30 to 5.55, something along the, you know, between 5 and 6 in the evening during the week. Oh, perfect. And I think, I don't remember exactly what the first show I saw, the first episode, but the, I think the earliest memory I have is watching the Ark in Space. I mean, if anything's going to stick in a, a young guy's head, it's going to be a, a Wirren falling out of a cupboard. Yeah, so that's so that's how I got into it, and I've been a fan ever since. Wow! And um, so, did so when the show finished, did you sort of progress to the books as they came out, or, or did that come later? Or no, that came a lot later. Okay. I mean, I remember watching the Paul McGann movie when it came out. 
I may not have watched it live, but I watched it like a some you know a recording from television like a week later maybe. But um, I didn't start reading any of the books until about maybe ten years ago, something like that. Okay, well, that's good. So so it was during the new series. Right, so about 10, 12 years ago, something like that is when I started reading them. I started acquiring, I had. A, I actually bought a few like in 2002-ish, but I never got around to reading them <laughs> until several years later. Oh dear, well, if I, let's, let's hope none of the authors of those books are listening. They'll be ever so upset. Well, I, I know one of them is no longer with us. I'm safe from Craig Hinton's, right? Oh, that's true, yeah. He can't, he can't touch us now, so when I get around to God Engine, I can... I can call it god awful with uh, no fear of reprisal. Yep, you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, to be fair, by the time I get round to God Engine, most of the authors will have died, and probably so will I. I but, suppose. Uh, yeah. When did you get into the show? Um, pretty much same as you. 1980, 81. I can, I can remember watching episode one of Full Circle around my auntie Janet's house. Mm-hmm. But I can also dimly recall that. So that had the kind of Starfield end credits, and I can remember thinking it should be the Swirly Tunnel, so I probably saw something from season 17. Right. Um, and then I, you know, just, just watched it religiously and started buying the new adventures when they came along and then grudgingly got into the EDAs when they replaced the new adventures and... <laughs> And I dipped out quite early on. I think I dipped out after Casal, and um, read. I read kind of the important Arky books through the library mm-hmm. rather than buying them because I, I, at the time I didn't think they were they were as good. Um, but I'm starting to reappraise that opinion now. So I've, I've I've still got about half of them to read for the first time. So I'm looking yeah, forward I'm, to that. That's fun because I, I have read all of the. I've read all the new adventures. Yeah. So I'm just I'm, begin, I'm still working my way through the EDAs at this point. Are you doing them in in publication order? Yeah, I'm at Revolution Man. I just I finished Revolution Man a couple of weeks ago. Oh, so I yeah. think I can't remember which one. It begins with a D. Dominion, I think, is the one I'm. Dominion or Dem- yeah. Demontage. Or... Okay, I did Demontage. Right. I remember that so one. I think I'm at Dominion. Do you know what? I could crane my head a few inches to the right and just look on the shelf, couldn't I? Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, I think by Nate Silver. I've got the Face Eater. Then I've got. Then I've yeah, we've got done Dominion. that. Yeah. But my books might not be in the right order. Mm-hmm. Because I keep moving them around every time I get a new one through the through the post. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're still collecting them. Eh? I am still collecting them. Uh-huh. I'm keeping that on the down low because if um, if a books find out, they'll suddenly whack the prices up. And some of them are like two or three dollars, and some of them are alien bodies. Should we say? <laughs> Eesh. Yeah. Look, I'm, I have them all. I just I kind of just powered through it. I'm like, you know. I'm not going to spend 10 years waiting for this particular, you know, a copy of the Gallifrey Chronicles to be that miracle $10 or, you know, whatever, yeah, I find know. it at an estate sale. It's like, yeah. you know what? I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a decent job. I will just get it. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. That's very sensible. I'm having a lot of issues with the last kind of five or six books because they all seem to be 
incredibly expensive. And I can't Are they think now? Of... I don't remember, like, with the EDAs having paid that much, maybe like $30 or something, but it wasn't like... Are they up to, like, lung barrel prices I now think, or No, I think we're talking kind of maybe 50 for okay. for some of them. And and they're not part of a story arc, and they're, mm-hmm. not, they're not ultimately that important. And I can't work out, unless it's because they're rare because the BBC printed less copies of those last few books. I don't know, but... Um, I think I've heard that at some point. Is that just they, they printed fewer? I don't know. Uh, it was certainly true of the... Uh, the new adventures, I guess. So it was probably mm-hmm. a similar situation with these. Yeah, I'd imagine. Like that, that, that's something I've heard. Another place I found books fairly cheap is the uh, what is it? The Gallifrey One. No, um, you know the the forum site Gallifrey. Gallifrey Base. Gallifrey Base. That's it. I found. You know they have a forum dedicated to buying and selling stuff and I was you know you'd stumble upon someone whose wife is like you got to get rid of that or whatever or they're moving something along those lines and I was able to get some good deals that way and actually met someone at Chicago TARDIS the convention in Chicago where who this person brought 50 books you know or just like you know 25 books or whatever bought a bunch of them from this person we met up at the wow. at the con and got them fairly cheap so that was that was one area I had good luck with. Because it's, it's tempting to think that if you've got kind of a full collection, that will be something you can put towards your retirement fund at some point. But I don't know. They're, they're not going up that much. <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to count. I do like I have all you know. I have all of the new adventures, so you know the kids can sell lung barrow and sovilacin and whatnot. And <laughs> have a night out in the town. I reckon, I reckon, I, I don't know if you've got kids or how old they are, but I would imagine by the time they're able to sell Lung Barrow, maybe they could get a holiday for it. It might be up to maybe a thousand pounds by then. Or a thousand dollars. I mean, I'm hoping to be around a little while longer. They're in their 20s, so. Oh, well, yeah, no, they're going to they're gonna need cash pretty soon, so. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the first one to. Hey, we're getting married. Oh, crap. Did you yeah. ask your grandfather for money? <laughs> All I'm saying is you better start checking under the car from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, yeah, yeah, perish the thought. So um, I guess we uh, we should we should get into it. I've I've written down a very basic question here. Uh, mm-hmm. Bell Tempest, discuss. <laughs> Well, I used to have an 8th Doctor Adventure podcast called Fiction Paradox, and we did go over Bell Tempest. So this is, I reread it, so it would be my second time reading the book in preparation for this podcast. And I found that my opinion of it was pretty much the same as it was when, I think this is probably like a year and a half ago or so, when I read it the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't have that distance of having read it in 1999 and come back 23 years later to read it, but it's been a, you know it's been about a year and a half, and it's just it's about the same. It's kind of I actually have some notes, and it's to me it's a very middle of the road book. Interesting. You know I don't hate it. I don't think it's fantastic. Um, I think there's a lot. I think it. You know, in the most general sense, I think there's a lot of really neat stuff about it. There's a lot of neat ideas. I think 
just having this solar system that has an alien fetus in the sun and you have these like pure thought kind of hoth creatures that are the size of like continents and you have like the people who like hanging out on beaches you know <laughs> so you, you know so like the, you have this really kind of neat little solar system yeah. world you know but it just kind of i think I think when it, it seems like it's undercooked, it like it was rushed, like there's a lot of neat stuff, but it doesn't gel. It it read to me like the first. So, so the book's divided into book one and book two, and book two is about the last, let's say, fifty pages. And, and there's an interlude. Yeah, and it feels like. By the end of book one, it, it felt like the first kind of 200 pages of a 500-page novel. And I was expecting yeah, I really quite a lot more. But then it's just sort of... It's not even wrapped up or, or even really ended. It's just... You feel like the the doctor gets bored, goes and finds Sam and says, no, I've had this, let's go. Let's go somewhere more interesting. Yeah, because it is shorter than your typical... I think, you know, most of the EDAs are like 280 pages-ish. Yeah. This one was only like 240, 250, so it is a bit shorter. It is a little shorter, but it's, but it's the same font size. So, mm-hmm. But then there's there's all these pages where there's like one one letter per line when... Uh, yeah, like the... I can't remember who that is now. Well, it's like, that. I think it's Sam when she's yeah. kind of... Like her hallucination kind of thing, you know. Re- going back to the car accident, that kind of thing, when the Hoth are messing with her mind or communicating with her. Yeah. So there's a little bit of padding and and deft spacing, but it no, it just it just feels like maybe maybe Jim Mortimer was down for writing a trilogy, and he thought that's what had been commissioned. So he's he's plodding along with book one and then someone from BBC Towers rings him up and says yeah we're not going to make it a trilogy we're just going to do one book so he's like <laughs> oh right okay then and just kind of wraps it all up very perfunctorily yeah um, I did like after this long after I did my initial review of this on the podcast I did look read the review in Doctor Who magazine and the reviewer in DWM does talk about how more apparently Mortimer was you know had a deadline and had to really hurry and scramble out of his ass to meet the deadline. Right. So apparently our initial thoughts of it just being incomplete kind of thing are true. Like he just he had a deadline and that's this is what we got. He wasn't prepared or able to really do it up like he wanted with that deadline. And it I shows, mean, so. I mean, it, it really does show. And that's very strange, because he's written, by this point, two new adventures, or one and a half, or... I've gone blank. There was... There's, a, there's two or three. Lucifer Rising, Blood Heat, both of which I think were remarkable. So, you know, as soon as you see Jim Mortimer on the cover, I think you're quite justified in expecting something really special. And we yeah, got... and I think he did Eye of Heaven at this point, too. That's right, that's right, Eye of Heaven. So, um, yeah, so you're expecting great things, and I think there are great things in here, as you've, as you've said, some of the sci-fi ideas, some of the prose. It's written in a very kind of... 
I mean, this isn't Terence Stick's levels of, of literature. <laughs> this, is, this is actually quite good. I was very interested to read the reviews on Goodreads, which I imagine are going to be pound for pound the same as the reviews on any other book reviewing website. And it was fairly one-sided and fairly negative. And a, uh-huh. lo- a lot of people really identified the characterization of Sam and the Doctor as being their biggest gripe with the book. Now, how do you, how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like the characterization of the Doctor a whole lot. I think he is, you know, um, he's really childish at a lot of points. And a lot of, there's a lot of flippancy. I'm thinking the first thing that comes to mind is when he's addressing, like, the Bolanian, the, the Parliament. Yeah. You know, is a really good example of that. So there's a lot of flippancy like that and, um, you know, frivolous talk. And it just, it unlike, say, with the fourth Doctor who would do something like that, he most of the time he never comes around and, like, you know, stares someone in the eye and gets serious and lays out the scenario yeah. to be considered. It's just, you know, the flippancy and then that's it. It never gets serious a lot of the time. I think that's right. I thought some of some of his little doctorish moments were quite charming, but mm-hmm. as you say, it, it was just that one end of the spectrum, and the, and you need you need the depth and you need that intensity and that seriousness to make the the childish elements kind of sing. I think if you just get one one end of the spectrum, you're not really getting the full character. Although I could see McGann doing it, and if if it was, I don't know. It's a weird one because it would have to be a comedy episode of, of a TV show starring Paul McGann and, and yeah. he could do it. But the rest of the episode around him is not a comedy episode. So, um. <laughs> Well, it's like that. there's that one, I don't know how well versed you are with the Big Finish stories. There's the one, God, is it Care Droid? The one where the, the, the Eighth Doctor, he spawns three of them, like his personality spawns different iterations of himself. And there's that one iteration of him that is extremely childlike and innocent and playful and goofy as compared to like a, a more serious yeah. one that goes off. And like, it's like, the, to me, this story is one of those where it's that playful, childlike, sometimes childish version of the Eighth Doctor. But and he doesn't really get serious until tor- until the end, basically. And Sam, I... Don't so so again. This is a, a a problem because I didn't read all the books at the time. But Sam was a very problematic companion, and I think very generic, very kind of dull, but kind of adequate. Um, and people have said that this kind of undoes all the characterization that she'd been through in the books, and and that sort of arc where she was away from the doctor for a few years and then came back and this and this says she's just gone back to being the teenager that she was originally introduced as i don't i'm not in a position to judge if that's fair or not are you um i think i'm in a position to judge because i've we, I, like i said at this point i've read the you, first yeah, you, 20 thing fairly recently yeah. um i think there is definitely an element of that here I don't think that it's. I don't think her characterization here is 100% completely that. Um, but 
Yeah, I think that I, I mean it, I think at some points there's there are points in the in the story where she I think probably the parliament speech where she is critical of the doctor for being childish. Yes. Yeah, and very you know and it's a legitimate gripe and I think there's stuff like that for instance you know peppered throughout the story where you have a you do have a more mature Sam. And and it, and you know and there's also uh, this uh, this mirrors I don't know if you've read placebo effect or read placebo effect recently. I have but, not. No. But you know there's a there's a passage a rather lengthy passage in placebo effect where Sam confronts a like a religious cult figure, which she does here, right? You, yeah. yeah. So it, it kind of mirrored. Um, you know that's something that came up with you know, mirrored that story, and. I think she does wrestle there. I, okay, I agree. There are times when she's sort of impetuous and stuff and teenage like, but you know, she does wrestle with some big weighty topics. She does in, in, in a fairly adult manner. So I think it's kind of hit or miss. You know, there, I can see moments where that criticism is completely legitimate, but I think in others, you know, she does come across as being more mature. I think the the single biggest thing that I don't understand is when she, and she spends the whole book kind of fending off succumbing to the religion and, mm-hmm. you know, eating the, the flesh of... I can't remember which of the two it is now. I only read this last it week. Was, it was Saketh? Saketh, yeah. Saketh, yeah. So she has to, like, literally gnaw on his hand. And at no yeah, that point, was, I like that part. At no point <laughs> does she mention being a vegetarian. You know, and that's the one thing I, I remember so. about Sam is that she yeah. is like a militant vegetarian. It mm-hmm. seems like something she'd have said. She'd be like, "Look, mate, even if I could join your religion, I can't do the flesh business. Do you have a quinoa-based alternative?" <laughs> the quinoa wafer. <laughs> I think it was yeah. I like that scene because it was kind of this. I don't know anything about Jim Mortar's views on religion, but obviously it's like you know it's a really nice parody of the Eucharist and the whole transubstantiation yeah. thing. I like yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I'd have to, you know, I just finished reading it yesterday too, and certain things are not totally clear to me. It's not. It's not a very clear book. Like at, right. at, at the beginning, where the the Doctor and Sam they're on a beach listening to records. And I was, and I thought, is this a beach in the TARDIS or are they outside yeah. the TARDIS on a beach? And I, I still don't know. And I've read chapter one a number of times, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one thing that I noticed the first time as well is that you don't necessarily, he doesn't tell you where you are right away. Which, you know, I, I'm not told, I'm not 100% against that kind of approach, but I, I think considering that he named everything was Bologna you know, one through 22 or 23, it got really confusing. If, if all the planets had separate names and all, you know, and all the moons had separate mm. names or whatever, it would have been, I think, a little bit easier to, to track, to locate so, yeah. the settings of everything. Yeah. It was sort of willfully, willfully difficult to follow. And, and at times it's Douglas Adamsy and at other times... Well, I can't think of a good example because I haven't read any books that baffling or, or confusing, but it's like one of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't remember off the top of my head when, when she bites into his hand whether... I think it's really unclear whether or not at, at that point she has been... she's has She has the micro-nano life particles being particle thingies in her or whether eating his flesh is what does that 
it's yeah i mean you know th- did she lose her sanity temporarily yeah. or was it the or was it these particles that did it i think i think it's either fully open to interpretation or else maybe we we both need to go away and read it again and that's dare i say it possibly not going to happen yeah <laughs> highly unlikely at this point <laughs> um so so reading them through in order as mm-hmm. you as you have been doing how does it kind of because i think for me the most exciting thing was the kind of realization i had after about a hundred pages where i thought oh hang on there isn't an invasion or any baddies it's it's more like a, a kind of summer blockbuster doctor who mm-hmm. experienced than a, a straightforward story and how how did that strike you you know in in the context of reading the them in order well one thing that i that came to mind reading it was that it's kind of similar a, a similar world as to the immediately preceding novel the janus conjunction i don't know if you've read that lately i have not okay it just this is it's a similar kind of bouncing around a planetary system kind of thing so it was very it felt a lot like that um like i said it just i i i, I guess i or you said i should say you know mortimer having a reputation especially now in 20 you know, in the 21st uh, century, especially after him having done some stuff for Big Finish, you know, the, there's an expectation going into this of what a Jim Mortimer book is going to, or Jim Mortimer story is going to be like. Yeah. And so it's just kind of, I guess I concentrated more on the goofy, weird stuff and tried to appreciate that. Uh, you know, that's how I think of this book. It's kind of like there's a lot of typical Mortimer stuff. Hmm. But it, you know, it, said it had a real similar feel to me to the Janus conjunction, so it didn't stick out. You know, that kind of plot structure didn't it didn't stick out as being unusual at all. It did seem like it came right on the heels of a kind of a similar story, with a similar setup. I mean, that's that's really unfortunate, and I suppose you'd have to say that's really bad editing. Whoever was in charge of the range at that point should have. Yeah, I think it's Stephen Cole at this point. Right, well, there's your, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, he really should have tried to put a couple of books in the middle to kind of make them both feel like outliers. I mean, I was, right. I was reading that, and I think it's chapter two or chapter three, and the spaceship crashes, and they're all waiting for the wave of the tsunami to come and wipe them out, and they build an enormous raft. And they're washed along to the president's window and the doctor's mm-hmm. sort of standing there having just caught the biggest wave of all time. Right. And you think, yeah, this is like, this is Independence Day. And we're not getting the usual Doctor Who tropes. We're not getting, you know, a small band of rebels or an evil overlord or an invasion. We're getting something different and more kind of, you know, capital S, capital F sci-fi, you know. It's, um, yeah, I think it's also, I think... Just a few books prior to this, I'd have to look up when it came, but Vanderdecken's children had a similar non-baddie formula for a story. Uh, do you have you read that lately? I have, I have not. So okay, I it's think... it's a few books prior to this one. I'll, you know, four or five yeah, something along, the line. but it's the... a it's a very hard, it's a hard sci-fi kind of story that to me it just because it has like it's a very Arthur C. Clarke rendezvous with Rama kind of thing where 
things kind of aren't obvious and you know kind of uh defeat your expectations at certain points you know there are definitely there are certain books that stand out for for going against all the conventions of doctor who like alien bodies and the scarlet empress are probably the, the the two um that i've read so far which really stick out like that you know they don't they deviate from the formula yeah i'm really looking forward to scarlet empress and and indeed all the other books that i haven't read before that, that yeah. <laughs> because i think even at this point doctor who is what almost 40 years old and mm-hmm. the writers that that challenge the the formula i think are to be to be congratulated so much especially by the point where the show's off air, it's probably never going to come back. You've got maybe five thousand people reading these books. I don't, I don't know the sales figures, um, mm-hmm. and you, you'd think the temptation would kind of be to just sort of slum it, but some of them, you know, I mean, obviously Lawrence Miles. It goes without saying, but a lot yeah. of them are in that same mould of pushing the envelope and trying something new and putting in big ideas and that's why the the eighth doctor's life as these books chronicle it is so is so varied and he goes obviously through through all those amazing story arcs and and some of them work and some of them less so um (laughs) but you know it's it's a wonderfully creative period despite the first seven books i think (laughs) <laughs> another thing I liked about this book um which may not it may not have he may not Mortimer may not may not have pulled it off perfectly but obviously there's like a kind of like a birth parenthood theme mm. to the book you know which starts very early in a really weird awkward scene on the beach where the the doctor he says something i forgot what it was exactly he he asked sam about becoming a mother don't you about you know about birth and the pain of childbirth or something like that to me it came across as being like really like the doctor probably wouldn't say that it was very awkward and it just it did not come across very well you can't (laughs) you can't imagine colin baker saying it (laughs) yeah or basically any other doctor yeah i can't imagine anyone doing it just it's it just was like so you know it wasn't very empathetic it was just kind of like i don't like i said it was just very it was a very childish thing to say i guess is the best way yeah or or certainly the way it was said and that right the way it was said and that theme of parenthood kind of obviously runs through the book and 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 then you know 20 years later we got the tv episode kill the moon so that's interesting isn't it yeah that was another thing i was in a note but like you start with that and you know you have sam's feeling for that kid danny that she rescues mm. um they say the 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 creature in bell and the sun you have that guy on farnham's world whose wife dies in childbirth and he brings the child out in the middle of the lightning storm and and at the end of the book it kind of comes full circle where like the doctor is talking to the possessed sam about her wanting to have children and stuff so it's which also was kind of weird so Um, so you know what i'm thinking right now i'm thinking that jim mortimer started writing this book his wife or girlfriend if he's if he's that way inclined i don't know got pregnant and nine months later 
He's he's on about page 200, and she's like, oh, I'm having a baby. And he's like, all right, I'll just finish this book very quickly. And maybe that <laughs> explains everything. Maybe that's what was going on. It could be anything. Like I said, it's just weird because it's like the guy has obviously has talent, and you know the book is awash in some you know like really neat ideas, but it just kind of never, you know, it never comes together. Like they say, the the I don't think that the whole child. Well, yeah, I think that I don't. I'm not convinced that the the whole parenthood birth, you know, uh, theme really is given its due and comes to fruition and what, you know what I mean? It's like, you can see it peppered throughout the story, but I think it's... It's like a uh, souffle that doesn't quite rise. Right, it's, it's, right, it's just like it never, you never quite got there to, you know, make it really meaningful. But, you know, it's like I said, it's just like there's a neat, you know, theme, you know, that you have this, like, you know, light motif going through the whole thing. It's like you just couldn't, you know... <laughs> get it going at the end and make it worthwhile but mm. and it's just another thing was uh, you know i mentioned the janice conjunction so in addition to sort of the scenario being similar um you know the doctor talks about opera in both stories well I, so i assumed that the the opera stuff in this was just a sort of direct callback to the the tv movie and and grace holloway uh, yeah, that, okay. I didn't think about that, but like in the Janus conjunction, he talks about going to see Aida, you know, uh. like like its premiere, and then he's doing the whole Ride of the Valkyries and the Ring Cycle stuff here, which is like I said, just kind of like it's weird. Well, again, that might have just been well, let's do an opera thing, you know. The Doctor is really into opera at this point. Let's go. Yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was killed by a lady who liked opera. Oh, go. Yeah. He probably really <laughs> likes opera. <laughs> the, so there's a through line there, right? The whole yeah. opera thing. <laughs> so let, let me just, because I'm, I'm, I, I've got another question, but that kind of leads us off of Bell Tempest, and I just wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that I, I wasn't leaving anything on the on the table. Um, with this one, yeah, no, I mean, also there's no, like. Like Surgeon, is it is she Surgeon General Conaway or Surgeon Major General Conaway? There's no yeah. description of any of these characters, so you've got no way of really visualising them. They're mm-hmm. just introduced in a really throwaway kind of way, and it's all it's all dialogue and sort of direction rather than you know anything descriptive. And again, yeah, I don't know if that's on purpose or not. Yeah, it's it's hard to know. Maybe this. Maybe this was going to be a script at one point, and it just became prose. I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah, because I don't remember him kind of... There may have been, but, like, does he talk about, like, the inhabitants of any of the planets at all? Like, gives any description? I don't remember him doing not, that. And Not really, and certainly yeah. not, not enough. You know, there are so many planets he's condemning to death, and, and so many so many worlds being, you know, facing destruction. And you... you only you don't even get a, a thin sort of pencil sketch of most of it. It's really insane. If I was going to be critical, I'd say it's not very satisfying. Yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of assume like everyone was a was humanoid. Obviously, because that would stand in great contrast to the Hoth. Yeah. And whatever is putting its fetus into the sun, you know, like every, you know, all the other ones, every. Yeah, everyone else was just humanoid in some yeah. capacity. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. 
but you know, it's it's entirely up to us. They could all be, you know, pink elephants for all we know. Yeah, there's not there's very very little world building <laughs> in the book, right? It's like true. There's galaxy destroying, but there's no world building. Yeah, it's like right. It, there's there's 22 planets, but it's like you don't really you don't get into it much and characters kind of coming like go because it does i think the president of that one plant the one where they surf to the yeah. winds you know i don't think she appears again i don't think she does no. right so, no. so she's kind of a little you know she's there for a little joke and then she's then she's done and that you know uh, we with any sort of writing instincts, you think, uh, if I'm setting her up for that joke, the least I can do is repeat it later on. Right, yeah, that's a, you know, it's another one of those, like, this seems like half-baked, it's yeah. not finished. Yeah. Plus, another thing I have down here is um, the environmental theme of the book. Yes. You know, because, you know, one of the big causes of this is of these people, the Blonians which planets i don't recall you know <laughs> basically launching their shit into the <laughs> into the sun right so that's yeah. what causes the the premature birth and everything so there's that big there's a little I, you know maybe a paragraph monologue diatribe of the doctors where he's talking about you know you guys kind of did this you know you launch your garbage in there and you know for 500 years i think he was saying and yeah and it's a shame because I was thinking that was actually quite a good idea. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. economically, it's not really viable because you don't spend that much rocket fuel on getting rid of rubbish, but it could have been a good idea. But yep, it uh, just it never really got developed. Yeah. So. It's, it's been closed down. So, so in the spirit of Bell Tempest feeling kind of unfinished and 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 rushed let's do the same with our review because i wanted to ask you 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 said it was kind of a middling book and it wasn't one of your favorites and it wasn't one of your one of your least favorites so i wanted to to maybe have a, a couple of minutes on what what your favorites and least favorites are uh well i i really enjoyed alien bodies um sim similarly I loved Scarlet Empress. Mm -hmm. Um I really adored Vanderdecken's children. Okay. Um I think you know that one like the first, you know, Scarlet Empress and Alien Bodies are known for like say going against the, you know, the the, the template of Doctor Who. You know, yeah. it, it kind of throws out a lot of the conventions of the Doctor Who storytelling pattern. It, whereas Vanderdecken's Children is, you know, more of a conventional story, but I think it's just it's done extremely well. And I think one thing that I personally like in not only in Doctor Who stories but just stories generally is if you're going to present a mystery, keep it going as long as possible. Yes. You know, like it's like there are certain Doctor Who stories where you present a mystery and like holy crap, and the, you know the first episode ends and then the re the mystery is revealed at the beginning of the second episode. So the the next you know two or three episodes is just running in corridors and trying to stop a bat. You know what I mean? Like you know keep that mystery going. Yeah, I think that's really when Doctor Who excels is when you don't know what's happening and the doctor and his companions slowly uncover like you know peel away the layers of the onion kind of thing and figure out what's going on yeah yeah 
which I mean, you know, quite, this, this is going to go back to something about reading these novels again. And that's one of the reasons, that's one of the big problems I have with the new series. Like, that doesn't happen. There's no time for that to happen. No, it's a very you're in, you're out kind of format now, isn't right. it? And there's no time for for anything. Right, and it's like that's one of the things I really love about classic Doctor Who is when an episode takes its time yes. to reveal stuff. Yeah. You, you don't get all the answers right away. Another thing, honestly, I, like this is something that started a couple books ago is also I, I, I'm in this I'm stuck in this mode of where I'm reading the book and thinking you know I'm really glad there's no sonic screwdriver to explain everything at this point I think the best way to describe Bell Tempest is the same way that I described it and thought about it back in the 90s when it came out, in that it's a very frustrating book. The weird thing is, the the reason that it was frustrating back in the 90s is very different from the reason it's frustrating these days. In the 90s, Bell Tempest came out just after a book with an awful lot of very similar themes. So you read it, and I mean, Bell Tempest even references the book and makes comments about it. And you're just thinking, well, surely you should have separated these books out a little bit. And the range editor should have said, do you know what? Bell Tempest, it's a good story, it's a good idea, because it is, you know, there's some really good stuff in there. But we've just put out a book that's very similar to it. We'll swap the order around, we'll make sure that we don't repeat ideas straight after. These days, Bell Tempest is an amazingly frustrating read because it should have the air of a past Doctor adventure. It is mostly a very standalone story. It is mostly self-contained. It's not part of the absolutely gigantic arc with all the Dark Sam and then the Faction Paradox stuff. And it's not part of that big ongoing arc thing. It should be a nice, simple standalone read. And the frustrating thing is... Sam Jones frustrates the hell out of me because she is beige. I know at the time they were trying to come up with a really good companion for the Doctor. Um, They were trying to come up with someone who was the ideal companion. But the trouble is because it followed on from the Virgin novels, because it followed on from Benny, um, Quedge and Roz, and of course since we've had all the companions that Big Finish have created, it just really goes to show just how bland Sam Jones was. When I was rereading Bell Tempest, I I couldn't hear a distinctive speech pattern. I mean, yes, Benny and Co, we've now had them in audios. We know what they sound like, which we haven't had with Sam Jones. But there's no distinctive personality to her. Even before Big Finish released any Benny audios, Benny was a really well-rounded, believable character, and you could hear her delivering lines in ways that other companions simply wouldn't have. I know Sam Jones is in Bell Tempest. I know she's got all her own subplots. Really, though, Sam Jones is words on the page when they should be so much more. Hi. Here we are again with another of the Eighth Doctor adventures. And this time it's Bell Tempest by Jim Mortimer. And I'll be honest, I struggled with this one. But you know what this book does have? Pace. It moves like a racehorse, barely pausing to draw breath. It, it's utterly relentless. It's Doctor Who does a disaster movie, but with six disasters one after another. 
If it was a TV episode, you could imagine many of the scenes with Sam being one long, continuous take as she careers from one crisis to the next. And it's also poetic. It's dreamlike. A symphony of metaphors. Phrases like, a church raised to the god blue, are just glorious. It's interested in a sense of place and an inner monologue, which just propels the thing along, even if you're not entirely sure what that thing is. And that may be both its blessing and its curse. It's a book grasping for a deeper meaning about religion and faith and trust and all of that stuff, which is admirable in the confines of a Doctor Who novel. And it's a story about Sam rather than the Doctor, which would be fine if it was an interesting story. But it never really works, and sad to say, at times, I really found myself wanting her to stop talking and just get on with it. Is it all style over substance? Hmm, possibly. And while the sun blows up with a bang, the story definitely ends with a whimper. But to end on a positive note, that scene with the clothes and the whole depressurising and the doctor singing Bernard Cribbins and moulding Devil's Tower... That's pure joy in the page, right there. We're all stories in the end. Featured Skip with James and Kevin. And the episode was edited and produced by Ian. I have been Agent Orange, and it is very nice to meet you. Meanwhile, on the Electric Sodcast... Hi Amy, it's Netflix. I just wanted to remind you that you're only 40% of the way through that film you started last night. Yeah, um, sorry, I'm sort of busy right now. Would you like me to recommend something new? Uh, not now, in fact. I could tell you what's popular in your area, if you'd like. Not really, I live in Thanet. Or I've got this curated list of funny shows you could watch. No, thank you. Have I done something wrong? Look, there's no easy way to say this, but... I've started seeing something else on Amazon Prime. Oh, here we go. It's like BritBox all over again. You go running off to see other streamers, but you always come back to me eventually with your tail between your legs because I've got something nobody else can give you. Amazon Prime is a wanker. Come back to me. I've got Drive to Survive. Real Formula One drivers swearing a lot. I've seen it. All of it. Watch it again. Daniel Ricardo just gets more stupid with each viewing. I'll log in at some point. I promise. I've got new content. There's always new films and more Bridgerton. I'm actually really busy with work at the moment. Look, maybe I could watch something at the weekend. Amazon Prime doesn't love you, Amy. I love you. And I've got all ten seasons of Friends. I hate Friends. What about Seinfeld? I watched all of it in the 1990s, which was 30 years ago. So you're bored of me. That's what you're saying. I'm old and boring. 
I just want to see other streaming sites occasionally. I'm not okay with that. I could always unsubscribe. No, don't do that. It's one click. No, please, please, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll change. It might be for the best, you know. It's been 10 years after all. And I'm not sure I get anything out of seeing you these days. Just the same old psychological dramas. But we've been a thing for so long. Remember the good old days when you were younger and I'd post discs to your front door? I can do better than you anyway. People are queuing up to stream my content. Well then, there's nothing left to say. You can stream Amazon Prime all you like. It's me you'll be thinking about. Oh, there you go again. I'm cancelling. I'll give you a fiver off. I'm still cancelling. Three months free. I love it when you resubscribe to me. Goodbye. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry to see you go. Oh, God, now it's emailing me. Why not give us another chance? Alexa, block all notifications and emails from Netflix. Netflix? You told me you'd ended it with that tosser months ago. Subscribe to the Electric Swordcast.